Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Radio Havana Cuba, and Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. In Austria, the first progress report on the United Nations Treaty to Eliminate Nuclear Weapons was held. The countries possessing nuclear weapons were absent, along with many of those that are under nuclear umbrellas like NATO and Japan. Thirty nations attended as observers. The military junta in Myanmar has announced that opposition leader Aung San Suu Kyi has been moved to solitary confinement in a prison. So far, the Nobel Peace Prize laureate has been found guilty of six charges with an 11-year sentence. Over 2,000 civilians have been killed as fighting continues between the military and pro-democracy forces. The United States will limit the use of anti-personnel landmines with the exception of the Korean Peninsula. European countries wanting to move away from the use of coal and power generation are reconsidering because of the uncertainty of natural gas from Russia. NHK Japan People fighting to eliminate the risk of nuclear war are in Vienna, where the first progress meeting on a UN treaty that would make the weapons illegal is now underway. But the world's nuclear powers are noticeably absent. Delegates are set to discuss ways to get nuclear-armed states to join the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. More than 13,000 remain in arsenals around the world. Nearly half are in Russia. This three-day event comes amid rising concerns that the nation could unleash the devastating weapons on Ukraine. Finland is one of nearly 30 nations attending as an observer. Russia's invasion prompted it to apply for NATO membership in the hope of coming under the U.S. nuclear umbrella. Finland's U.N. ambassador said his country isn't convinced the treaty can achieve its goal, but he supports the discussion. We think that it's very important to listen to each other, to understand each other's view in a way that we can find common ground when we are seeking to to achieve a world without nuclear weapons. The UN chief called the treaty an important step toward ridding the world of a scourge. The decisions you make at this meeting will help cement the treaty's position as an essential element of the global disarmament and non-proliferation architecture. And it will hopefully convince more countries to get on board. The treaty entered into force in January of last year. So far, 65 state parties have ratified it. That list does not include any countries that possess the weapons or the nations they protect. 
Well, Japan did not send delegates to Vienna, but its prime minister will attend the progress meeting for another UN pact. The Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons looks to limit the expansion of the existing global arsenal. Japan's top spokesperson says when Kishida heads to New York for the conference this August, he'll become the first prime minister to ever attend. The NPT is a foundation of the nuclear disarmament and non-proliferation regime, joined by both nuclear and non-nuclear powers. With the prime minister in attendance, the Japanese government will make every effort to ensure the conference produces a meaningful outcome. The review conference is usually held every five years. It was originally scheduled for 2020, but it was repeatedly postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic. The first meeting of states' parties to a U.N. treaty that would make nuclear weapons illegal is wrapping up. Delegates are set to adopt an action plan aimed at bringing on board nations that are not part of the agreement. A draft of the plan calls for a group of scientific experts to be formed to deepen the understanding of the inhumanity of nuclear weapons. It also includes support for people who've been physically affected by radiation from attacks by nuclear weapons or testing. Myanmar's military junta has announced that ousted democracy leader Aung San Suu Kyi has been transferred from an undisclosed location to a prison. This latest report on the treatment of Myanmar's ousted de facto leader is expected to draw further criticism from pro-democracy groups and the international community. A spokesperson for the military's governing council, Zhao Mintung, said in a statement on Thursday that Aung San Suu Kyi has been kept in solitary confinement in prison in the capital Nepidaw since Wednesday in accordance with criminal laws. Aung San Suu Kyi was detained by the military when it staged a coup in February last year. She was initially under house arrest at her official residence in the capital, but was transferred to the secret location in May last year and remained there under house arrest. The Nobel Peace Laureate has been charged with about 20 criminal offenses. She's been found guilty on six charges, including incitement and illegally importing walkie-talkies. Her prison term so far totals 11 years. Aung San Suu Kyi's supporters and rights groups have sharply criticized her treatment, claiming that arbitrary trials are being conducted under extremely unfavorable conditions for the defendant. Meanwhile, a human rights group in Myanmar says more than 2,000 people have been killed since the military coup. The Assistance Association for Political Prisoners reports that a total of 2,007 civilians have died as of Wednesday. Myanmar's military seized control last year and detained a number of pro-democracy leaders. It has since continued with a violent military crackdown on citizens protesting against the coup with regular reports of shootings and beatings. The human rights group says many deaths are being reported in the Sagaing region in the northwest, where fighting continues between the military and pro-democracy forces. The U.S. Embassy in Myanmar highlighted the civilian deaths on Twitter on Wednesday. It said, quote, 
The military's nationwide inhumane atrocities committed against the people of Burma underscore the urgency of holding its members accountable, unquote. The number of civilian deaths in the military crackdown continues to rise despite international appeals for an end to the violence. The Association of Southeast Asian Nations has been trying to mediate between the junta and pro-democracy forces by sending a special envoy to Myanmar. The United States will limit the use of anti-personnel landmines outside of the Korean peninsula. The decision announced by the White House on Tuesday reverses the policy from the previous administration. It says the new policy will be aligned with the Ottawa Convention. That international treaty prohibits the use, stockpiling, production and transfer of anti-personnel landmines. Washington said the change does not affect its policy on the Korean peninsula due to what it called the unique circumstances there and its commitment to defending South Korea. The administration of former President Barack Obama prohibited the weapons use outside the Korean peninsula. But his successor, Donald Trump, relaxed the ban, saying it could put U.S. troops at a severe disadvantage during a conflict. A senior State Department official said the new policy is in sharp contrast to Russia's action in Ukraine. Human rights groups have criticized Russia's use of anti-personnel landmines. The Ottawa Mine Ban Treaty went into effect in 1999. There are more than 160 parties to the agreement, including Japan. But the U.S. and Russia are not among them. European countries have been trying to move away from coal as a source of electricity as they push for carbon neutrality. But the uncertainty surrounding the supply of natural gas from Russia is forcing some to expand their coal-fired power generation. Russia's largest gas company, the state-owned Gazprom, said uh, said last Wednesday, it would slash the supply of natural gas through a key pipeline to Germany by about 60%. The announcement has triggered a concern in countries connected to the pipeline. The German government said Sunday it would save some of its gas supply for winter and temporarily expand coal-based thermal power generation. German economy and climate minister Robert Habeck had said that Cutting gas consumption is regrettable but necessary. The Dutch government announced Monday that it would lift restrictions on coal-fired power plants and allow full operation. The Austrian government said it will uh, says it will restart a coal thermal power plant if necessary. In France, the government may extend the life of two coal-fired power plants that are slated to close by the end of this year. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuban President Diaz-Canel urged the increase of the use of solar energy at the start of a national renewable energy fair. 
Mexican President Obrador is calling on Joe Biden to drop charges against Julian Assange. The Mexican government had previously granted asylum to the founder of WikiLeaks. Obrador described Julian as the best journalist of our time in the world and a prisoner of conscience. The new Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese, has rejected calls for him to publicly demand the release of the Australian citizen Assange. Colombians elected former rebel Gustavo Petro as president and Francia Marquez as vice president in a historic vote. The U.S. military has expanded its illegal bases in eastern Syria, along with more military convoys in the area. Radio Havana, Cuba. Even President Miguel Escanel urged on Tuesday to boost the use of solar energy on the occasion of the summer solstice, an event that marks the end of spring and the beginning of summer. The president, through his Twitter account, said on the longest day, the summer solstice in 2022, let's take a minute to think about how much more we can take advantage of solar energy as part of renewable energies. I salute those who are ahead of the curve in harnessing it. In sessions with the National Innovation Council, Diaz Canel has pointed out the potentialities that the archipelago possesses for the use of renewable energy sources. The Caribbean nation will hold from June the 22nd to the 24th, the second edition of the Renewable Energy Fair aimed at promoting the efficient use of energy and renewable sources for local development in the industrial services and residential sectors, as well as promoting foreign investment in Cuba with emphasis on solar photovoltaic and biomass. Cuba is currently going through a complex electric power situation marked by breakdowns in several thermoelectric plants, maintenance in others, and daily generation deficits. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador has announced that he will call on his U.S. counterpart, Joe Biden, to drop charges against the founder of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, who is awaiting extradition to the United States. If convicted, he could spend the next 175 years in U.S. prisons. The Mexican president has already advanced his position prior to the visit he will make to the United States in July, and in which he will remind his U.S. counterpart that his government has previously granted political asylum to Assange while he is detained in the United Kingdom. López Obrador said he will ask for the release of the Australian journalist who is accused of leaking classified information from the U.S. government which implied the White House's interference in other nations, human rights violations, war crimes, amongst other crimes against humanity. The Mexican president said, I would like to state that I will ask President Biden to address this matter. I am aware that it goes against tough, severe groups that exist in the United States, as in all countries, but humanism must also prevail. He commented on Tuesday morning. President López Obrador explained that in case it is decided to release Assange, who is charged with 18 criminal charges, Mexico opens its doors, and went on as far as to describe the founder of WikiLeaks as, quote, the best journalist of our time in the world. And the Mexican leader said that the treatment Assange has received is worse than that of a convicted criminal, and all he did was denounce human rights violations.
He also urged the United Nations and all human rights organizations to pronounce themselves on the case. He explained that, quote, at the end of the Trump administration, we were requested that he be exonerated because he is a prisoner of conscience and showed us as proud of his innocence as video released by WikiLeaks in which U.S. Army pilots assassinate a group of innocent journalists in Iraq as if they were a computer game program. Last week, the United Kingdom ratified the extradition order to the United States, where, if found guilty, he could face a sentence of 175 years in prison. Anthony Albanese, the newly elected Prime Minister of Australia, has rejected calls for him to publicly demand the United States drop its persecution of WikiLeaks founder and Australian citizen Julian Assange. Bob Carr, who was foreign minister when Albanese's center-left Labour Party was last in power in 2012 and 2013, wrote in an opinion piece in the Sydney Morning Herald on Monday that an Australian request to drop Assange's prosecution was a small change in Australia's defence alliance with the United States. Speaking to reporters, Albanese declined to say whether he had spoken to President Joe Biden about the case after the British government last week ordered his extradition to the United States on spying charges in his op-ed, Carr argued that Assange's prosecution stood in sharp contra contrast to the United States pardoning former military intelligence officer Chelsea Manning, who had leaked the secret files to WikiLeaks. Carr said this was Albanese's most potent argument to advocate for Assange's release. If Albanese asks, my guess is America will agree. Leftist candidate Gustavo Petro is Colombia's new president-elect, according to the National Registrar's Office. The count of this Sunday's second round advanced to almost 90% by obtaining more than 10 million votes, equivalent to 50.88%. His rival, right-wing business magnate Rodolfo Hernández, obtained 47% of the vote. Among his campaign promises, Petro pledged to address profound social and economic inequality in traditionally conservative Colombia, where successive governments have focused primarily on addressing insecurity and violence and have failed. Regional nations around Latin America praised the results of Colombia's elections. Argentina's president, Alberto Fernandez, who took office in 2019 after running on a left-leaning platform, tweeted on Sunday that Petro's victory validates democracy and ensures the path towards an integrated Latin America in this time when we demand maximum solidarity amongst brother peoples. The feeling of fraternity was echoed by several other leaders in the region, Peru, Chile, Mexico, Bolivia, and Honduras send messages of congratulations on Sunday night to the new president-elect of Colombia. For his part, Mexico's president, Andrés Manuel López Obrador, said Petro's success could herald a healing period in the country. He referenced the 10-year Colombian civil war that broke out following the assassination of left-wing presidential candidate Jorge Eliezer Gaitán in 1948. The newly elected president and the vice president-elect, Francia Márquez, will take office on August the 7th for a four-year term. According to what has been promised during his political campaign, Gustavo Petro will increase subsidies to reduce poverty across the country, as well as other progressive measures. The United States military has reportedly expanded its illegal bases in eastern Syria and strengthened them with air systems. Russia's Sputnik News Agency reported that, that the United States occupation forces are strengthening their ranks in eastern Syria, expanding their positions and moving more military convoys in the area. The agency cited local sources in the northeastern province of Hasaka 
as saying that the American forces reinforced their illegal bases in the area with a modern radar system after they had built the bases to set up the radar on them. The sources underlined that the bases, which include large warehouses, a command center, and a helipad for military helicopters, were among the first established by the American forces with the support of Kurdish-led SDF militants loyal to them in Hasaka province. U.S. forces also expanded the Grain Silos base, which includes an airstrip in the town of Talbaidar, north of Hasaka, near the M4 highway, by linking with it with the headquarters of a former Syrian army regiment in the area, the sources added. The U.S. military has stationed forces and equipment in northeastern Syria, with the Pentagon claiming that the deployment is aimed at preventing the oil fields in the area from failing into the hands of Daesh terrorists. Damascus, however, maintains the deployment and is meant to plunder the country's rich mineral sources. It is quite clear that the U.S. military is operating as occupation forces. Former U.S. President Donald Trump admitted on more than one occasion that American forces were in the Arab country for its oil. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. Podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet. Many, many thanks to all who have supported me. We will conclude with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, an acronym for the five major emerging economies, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, held its 14th summit. The goal was to produce a plan for an era of global development. These five nations represent 40% of the world population and 25% of the global GDP. The war in Ukraine has strengthened ties between Russia and the other four members, all of whom support Russia with increased trade following U.S.-EU sanctions. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The 14th summit of BRICS countries in Beijing, virtually, that is, uh, it is meant to produce a layout for a new era of global development, as the hosts put it. But it will also focus on other items, Russia's war in Ukraine, for example, and the ongoing pandemic. Now, BRICS is an acronym for the five major emerging global economies, namely Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. These five countries are home to 3.2 billion people, and that is 40%. Uh, their economies account for almost a quarter of the world's GDP. Opening the meeting, China's leader Xi Jinping had this to say. Human history, like a river, will keep moving forward with moments of both calm waters and huge waves. Despite changes in an evolving global environment, 
the historical trend of openness and development will not reverse course, and our shared desire to meet challenges together through cooperation will remain as strong as ever. Let's talk more about the BRICS summit and the role India is playing with Charu Kartikeya, our correspondent in Delhi. Charu, what is India's main objective at this meeting, which is dominated, obviously, by the war in Ukraine and its ramifications? Well, uh, Chris, India's formal response uh, to the summit and India's participation there has been very standard. Uh, it's been focused on the themes that India has been talking about, talking about ever since BRICS came up, and that is essentially a reform of the multilateral order in favor of developing countries. Uh, and uh, so uh, even, even this time around, the formal response has centered around this theme only. But we do know that for the last couple of years, India has been involved in this effort uh, to give out a message to the Western bloc as well as uh, uh, its, its partners in BRICS that in, uh, India is, is looking at uh, partnerships across the world to further its, its own interests. So it's, it's, it's been trying to sort of balance interests of various groups. So at one, uh, on, on one hand, it participates in BRICS, and on the other hand, it participates in the Quad as well. So uh, just a couple of uh, weeks ago, India participated in the Quad Summit. So uh, and uh, soon, on, on, on very close on the heels of the Quad Summit comes BRICS. So it's a sort of a messaging uh, to balance uh, both hmm. the blocks, Chris. Uh, let's stay on the issue of Ukraine here for a second. Amid a barrage of uh, Western sanctions, uh, Russia's leader Vladimir Putin uh, says that his country is actively redirecting trade and economic context towards BRICS countries. Have ties between Delhi and Moscow, trade ties for that matter, strengthened? Well, uh, they have uh, definitely strengthened, uh, Chris. We know that for uh, ever since the war broke out and ever since U.S. and European nations imposed sanctions on Russia, uh, we saw that India uh, began buying Russian oil at uh, discounted prices. Now, as the war progressed and as the West sanctions kept on intensifying, uh, reports started coming in of uh, India's purchases of Russian oil going up significantly and even exponentially later on at heavy discounted rates. And just yesterday, I think uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin himself admitted that Russia's trade to India, China and uh, Brazil has gone up by about 38 percent in a very uh, short period of time in just the first three months of this year. So that's a that's a significant admission by Putin himself and much uh, to the chagrin of the Western bloc. But yes, that remains to be the fact that trade ties are definitely on an uh, upward swing, Chris. And uh, Charu, there's talk about uh, expanding this BRICS group, uh, adding new members to it. What is India's position when it comes to that? Well, Chris, uh, formally, uh, India has made no issue about that. It has not made any significant statement as to whether it endorses or opposes the expansion of uh, uh, the BRICS grouping. But then there are several uh, reports that, uh, that, that do indicate that there seems to be some displeasure in New Delhi about uh, China's plans to expand the grouping to include many other nations in it. Uh, India apparently feels that uh, these, uh, China wants to bring in these nations to bring in more members which will be under Chinese influence to, hmm. to offset uh, uh, the, the weight of India 
and Russia in the summit. So uh, there are reports that India is not happy and that it will try to resist these plans for BRICS expansion, Chris. DW's Charu Kartikeya in Delhi. Charu, thank you. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link. And get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. This shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.